Check, check. One, two, check. Mic's on. From the world of education to you, my name is Dr. A. Our show is all about finding your voice by connecting our community through collaboration. All right, welcome back to another edition of Mike's On. This is episode 26, and I have again, uh, again delved into um, my Rockwood colleagues and my friends um, from around the district. I have a very special friend here with me, someone who I've gotten to get to know over the last few years. Um, she is a very important person, not only um, in the lives of many kids, but in the lives of many adults here in Rockwood and really um, around the region. And and as we get our, our Instagram going and our social media becoming becoming a powerhouse out there, huh? So uh, welcome, Brittany Hogan. How are you? Thank you so much. That was such a wonderful intro. I More than anything, I love the idea that I'm um, a special person in the lives of children and adults in Rockwood. Like that is what makes my heart sing every day. So well, thank you for well that. Well, you are. I mean, you're someone that de- definitely comes into a room with a smile and, and uh, a spark that uh, can change people into a positive way. So I, I appreciate that big time. Um, Brittany, how long have you and I known each other now? Because how long have you been working in the district? I, this will be my eighth school year. Oh, my goodness. I, I know. <laughs> and you and I have worked together six of my eight school years. Yeah, so so you started out doing what? So, first of all, your title is Coordinator of uh, Department of Educational <laughs> Equity and Diversity, right? Correct. So the deed department, right? But uh, it's so much more than just those words. I mean, really what you do is all over the place and and, uh, so, so important. But how did you get started? Well, you know what? I want to just go back for a second. Tell me a little bit about Brittany Hogan, like your family and where you're from and all that good stuff. So I am from Chicago, Illinois. I am um, from the south side of Chicago. I am a, uh, I'm an only child. I'm like, I'm, I'm a Gemini. I'm an only <laughs> child. Um, <laughs> I have a big family. I'm a graduate of Hampton University, which is a historically black college in Southern Virginia and Hampton, Virginia. And I came to St. Louis because I got into Washington University to attend the Brown School, the social work school. And I became um, a social worker here. I, my concentration um, was in social economic development because I really like numbers, but I really like helping people. And I figured if I learned social policy and economics, I could help people have better lives. And so um, when I first graduated, I worked for Beyond Housing, um, a, a, a nonprofit in the area that really specializes in um, really home ownership and rental property and all that type of stuff. And I was a social service coordinator for them. And I worked with our 340 scatter site uh, family homes. And I worked with the residents within the home and I did everything from credit counseling to budgeting to holiday friends and back to school events for families. Basically anything, any type of services the residents needed, that's what I provided. So then fast forward, I was there four years. And then I met Dr. Terry Harris, but then he was just Terry Harris. Mm -hmm. And um, he was looking for equity coordinators for the district. And I decided that this would be like the next space that I would move into. 
Um, I met him. I met J.P. Mitchum, who used to work in the district, mm-hmm. and I, I loved the things that they talked about. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to go be an equity facilitator in Rockwood. And so I started off in the Eureka Quadrant, and I was at Eureka High School and the middle schools and the elementaries that all feed into it, and I was there for a year. And then we merged departments. And so the social workers and the deed facilitators became merged, and I became a district social worker. So then I was at Wildwood and Rockwood Valley Middle School for a year. And then Terry was promoted to executive director of student services for the district. And I became, I took his job and I became the coordinator of educational equity and diversity. And I have now been in this role close to six years. Crazy. And crazy. Just like that. I mean, you're, you're, you're nearing the 10 year mark. I know. It's, I don't even, like, I don't like where to go. <laughs> hey, so, so tell me a little bit about that experience in college, you know, being in Virginia. What was that oh, like? Oh, I loved Virginia. I love Virginia. Um, you know, my father says these things to me um, that stick out to me so much more now as an adult than they did at like 18-year-old Brittany. But when I moved, when I got into Virginia, my father said, you know, Brittany, you need to be aware that this is the South, that this is below the Mason-Dixon line, that Richmond was ahead of the Confederacy, and this is not like being in Chicago. And when I moved to St. Louis, he said, Brittany, you need to be aware that uh, Missouri had the last school district that had to be integrated by the National Guard. And so these are things that you need to be aware of. And like these are conversations that uh, black parents have to have with their children. And like sometimes you're not even you're not at an age to really be able to process what they're saying to you. But these are the things that they're trying to do to protect you. And so like when he said these things to me, he you know, he wanted to make sure that I was conscious of um, racially where things stood at one point in these places in this country. And so not not being um, remiss into thinking that some of that belief and those attitudes have completely decimated in the last, you know, 50 years since the Civil Rights Act. So those are the things that he said to me. I loved being in Virginia. I loved the weather. I love the people. I love the experience of being at a black college. Um, I say all the time that like Hampton was one of the best decisions I've made in my life because it was a space where I was loved and nurtured um, in a manner that really shaped me into being the person that I am. And then so fast forward a little bit, um, how do you reach out and figure out WashU is the next stop? Um, I have I have an amazing mentor. His name is Juclet Williamson, and he runs this program at home called Target Hope. And it was a program that I participated in high school, and it focuses around helping black and brown kids prepare for um, secondary education. And so you have Saturday Academy, and every Saturday I would go to DePaul University, and I would be in, like, a language arts class and a history class, like a black history class. And my senior year, I was in senior comp, and they helped you write your um, – your senior, you know, your um, college admission papers and all those things. And Mr. Williamson did college tours, and he has a wonderful relationship with um, Washington University in St. Louis. But how I saw Hampton for the first time was being on that college tour. And when it was time for me, when I was getting ready to graduate from Hampton, Mr. Williamson said, well, what do you want to do next? And I said, oh, Mr. Williamson, I want to go to graduate school. I want to do industrial organizational psychology. And so I was studying for the GRE. I was applying to uh, Washington University. I was applying to uh, George Washington University in D.C., American University, all these different places. And Mr. Williamson said to me, well, what do you think about being a social worker? And I said, Mr. Williamson, I don't want to be poor. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. he said, mm-hmm. he said, well, girl, I'm not poor. Like I have a master's in public administration. And he, um, he said, I want you to think about this. Like WashU has the number one ranked social work program in the country. The summer before that, he took me, um, he took a lot of us on a graduate conference here at WashU. And I saw the medical school. I saw the Brown school, the business school. So I'd already become familiar um, with being here. And so I decided to apply and I got in. You get into the number one school for social work in the country. You're going to you're going to lead in that direction. Um, the beauty of it is, is that like my father, one of his best friends was the president of the Urban League in Chicago. And he had an MSW. He had a master's in social work. The Field Museum president was a friend of my father's. He's retired at this point, but he had an MSW. And one thing they really stressed to me is that you didn't just have to be a clinical social worker or you didn't have to work um you know, with children's services, there were so many different hats that you could wear with having an MSW and not to limit my thinking based on what I just thought I knew, you know, based on the things you see in the media Mm -hmm. or what people tell you. And it was just, it was the best decision I could have possibly made. Yeah. Cause, um, an MSW really is something that can move you in so many different directions. Right. But -hmm. there is that, that for whatever reason, that, that bit of stigma with social work, right. Like that, that you're, I mean, that's exactly what you thought. You weren't going to make any money being a social worker. But what one of the issues is, is that, you know, we as a nation don't give the kind of funding and um, the apparatus to help in that direction. And that's the thing that we're talking about right now is really that's what has to happen in order for our nation to become better and to heal ourselves, right, in a lot of ways. So I am thankful for someone like you who decided to go into that and then for you to be here now in this moment um, with us as a district, because I do feel as though what you bring to the table is something that every one of us can learn from. Um, and so I really appreciate you before we get into meaty stuff though, I want you to go back to Chicago for a second because I like talking Uh Chicago with you because I, I too, I too lived there for a little bit. Um, I wasn't South side, but, um, what was education like for you as you grew up? Um, I, I attended a school, it's called Murray Language Academy. It's a magnet school um, in High Park in Chicago. I attended um, their kindergarten through fifth grade, and then we moved. So, and then I went to LaSalle Language Academy, also a magnet school, also a language academy, Um, both very hard to get into. It's more so about who you know. And uh, a perfect example, so for me to get in LaSalle, my mom hosted uh, the math clinic for a year. And my mother has a degree in journalism. Like, my mother's a writer. She is not a mathematician. <laughs> and my father donated Bulls tickets. They did all these things to ensure that I could get into this school, right? And so I think about that, like, the access to quality right. education and the things that are required in order for that to make it happen. And it's different than St. Louis because in St. Louis, it's all about your residential mm-hmm. to really have any – there's no movement in education right. unless you participate in the big program. But even that is based off residential. But as in Chicago, we have magnet schools, you know, but even getting in those – um, really depend on who you know and, and what your resources are a lot of the time. And so I, you know, I went through Chicago Public Schools for K through 8th, and then I went to all go Catholic school called St. Scholastica. And St. Scholastica is about 45 minutes from um, my home in Chicago. I took the subway every day. I took the L, and then I took a bus, and then I walked two blocks 
to attend mm. school. Um, which sounds like one of those old people stories, yeah, right. like I walked in the snow, right? <laughs> but I did. So, right. um, you know, my, my journey to school was very similar to our kids, minus being on a school bus. But like, I got up and I was on the, I was on the subway every day between 6.30 and 6.45 every morning. So I could get to school on time. And, um, St. Scholastica was a place that really nurtured my love for social justice the nuns who run the school, they're the they're under the Benedictine sisters mm-hmm. and they really focus on racial equity and social justice. And so um, some of my theology work in that school, like I took a whole year of just social justice for theology and I loved it. And I learned about a lot about like um, the injustices of the world and things that happen that um, really require an empathetic lens to deal with. And so I am, it's, it's funny, I just got an email from my uh, theology, my senior year theology teacher, Sister Susan, um, just like two days ago. So the nuns, the nuns there, Sister Judith and Sister Susan are two, but Sister Judith was my principal and Sister Susan was my teacher. They hold a really special place in my heart. Um, and they really help mold me into a woman who, cared about social justice and so I'm I'm very I'm very grateful for that space so I've had the public education space and I've also had the private sector yeah and you and I are a little bit alike in that sense because I too uh, went public and private public for most of my elementary years and then as I got into middle school and the first parts of high school was private and then and then moved to Chicago and and Mm -hmm. graduated up there public schools but um and there is a real difference within those um within those two systems. Um, what did, um, St. Scholastica look like? What, what was the demographics like? Um, well, it's all girl Catholic. Mm-hmm. I, I had a graduating class of 89 girls. Oh, wow. Like it's very, very small. So there were like 429 girls, something like that in total in the building. Um, probably about 45% white mm-hmm. or no more than that, maybe about 50% white. And then, um, everything else was people of color, probably about 20%. Um, black and probably like another 20% um, Latinx and then a small percentage of Asian students. Okay. So um, diverse, not as diverse as my elementary, like my, what we call, you know, we call grammar school at mm-hmm. home. We don't mm-hmm. call them elementary school. So my grammar school was a lot more culturally diverse. Like LaSalle, um, each, each grade had 60 kids, 30 in each classroom, and they were racially even so if there were 15 black kids there were 15 white kids and there were 15 Asian students so it was very um racially diverse I wouldn't say that that necessarily made it feel like a more integrated space but but racially it was integrated yeah so so let's fast forward now to to where we are at the moment you know um so much is happening um you know first of all um you and I I don't think have seen each other since March, maybe February. I think we, I think we saw each other. I think the last time we saw each other was Wildwood Learning Council. So February. Yeah. And, um, and so everything's been turned upside down and all around and, and you know what, um, in a way it's kind of a good thing because it's Mm -hmm. time for a lot of things to, to really have focus and, and, um, and have a, a look at some change. So, as you're working through some things, like I told you before we got on, um, I, I was able to, to listen in a little bit and watch your um, interview um, that you you got interviewed by by Nick Stone, which I think is so cool. <laughs> you know, I mean, 
I would have been the other way around wanting to know everything about Nick, but it was kind of cool because she really wanted you to be the one doing a lot of the talking, right? And uh, yeah, and learning so uh, from you. And so as she as she's literally texting me right now, telling me what we need to work on next. She's literally like, we need to we need to get a train. She's literally texting me right now, like we need to work on that. Okay, which, okay, which, Nick. And and I think it's so cool though because. Um, you and Terry were able to get Nick to come into our district and, and um, talk to our kids and go to different high schools. And then we were all able to go as middle schools to uh, U-City and, and see her. And from that interaction is how you really became friends with her, which I think is really yes. neat and cool. Um, and now you guys are embarking on this. So what made you guys decide to actually do something together like this? Well, um, well, first of all, I, so the story about Nick is so interesting because, and she said that she was like, I kind of want you to tell the story about how we met. So probably seven months before she came, I bought a copy of Dear Martin. I was just on Amazon, like I do, looking for books, figuring out what I'm going to suggest the kids read. And I bought Terry a copy. And I remember I brought it over to his office and I was like, yeah, like you, you need to read this. It's, it's really, really good. And he said, okay. So then fast forward to summer conference in June, I'm at Rockwood Summit and the, the, the head librarian there comes to me and she says, the librarians want to bring in Nick Stone. Do you, will you help us support? Do this. I'm like, absolutely. Like, dear Martin's an amazing book. When's she going to come? They're like, October. So now fast forward to the following school year, that October. And that's when she comes. So the thing about Nick and I is that um, Nick is a graduate of Spelman. So we have both graduated from historically black colleges. We have a love of literature. And we uh, we just have a lot of similarities of the things that we like. And so when we met, you know, we really built like a good bond of a friendship. And then over the last, I would say the last seven or eight months, we've really been talking about how we move our work forward and how we can possibly do that together. Because Nick believes in um, the things that I do in this, the work. And she's also seen me with the kids. Like she's had the ability now to come back twice and see me with our kids. And so she knows what um, I'm really like, you know, striving for and thriving to create for them. And we said like, why not now? Like, this is a wonderful time. If we're talking about education in a system that has to change and we're talking about the liberation of people, um, why not do this work together? Because what I believe is that one good book can change a kid's life mm -hmm. and a narrative can change the mind of almost anyone whose heart is open yep. because the ability to put yourself in the perspective of another, to use your empathetic lens, um, it, it opens up your mind in different ways. And so that's what this work is really about, like empathy in equity, creating an empathetic lens in order to sprout the, um, the belief and the system of equity. And so that's, that's what we're working on. And I can't think of anyone that I would want to do this work with more than her because um, I love her books. I love the way Nick writes. I love uh, how she uses words. And my kids love her books. And that's the thing that really moves me. Like seeing my kids with Nick Stone books, seeing them with Dear Martin, knowing that every ninth grader in Rockwood now reads it. Like those are the things that change the world. So... That's, that's how we got here. It's just, it's just really cool to know that uh, you're getting to, um, you know, have regular conversations with her now and, and how, it, how it really starts out. So, um, 
you know, as we are talking about this moment, though, and, and some of the things that, um, you know, the district has been working on, you know, one of the things that we really struggle in our district with is is being able to hire people of color, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I often say, you know, it's hard because we don't have people who actually apply to our district who want to be here, right, mm-hmm. um, of color. Mm-hmm. And so um, you are part of um, Welcome Home, which is so important to really getting this ball moving. And, and, and talk a little bit about some of the things that you've worked on while you've been in the district to really not only raise awareness, but help people, I mean, along the way. Because I can tell you, and you know this, um, both you, Terry, Emmanuel, all three of you have helped me in ways, Jean-Pierre, um, you know, mm-hmm. Art, Art McCoy. I mean, I talk about all the different people who, who have come in and out of my life since I've been here at Rockwood who are people of color. And, and I will tell you that, you know, I'm, I'm like you and it's all about the kids and I want to do whatever I can for the kids. But what's so difficult is, you know, breaking down these barriers that we have um, in the society, in the system, in the way people think, all that. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about some of the work that you've been able to do while you've been here in Rockwood. Oh, goodness. I know it's a lot. It's a loaded question, <laughs> but, you know, we so can talk loaded. forever and ever about it. But just give a little bit of what really has the most meaning to you as oh, you yeah. like, like you've been here eight years now. So you have a body of work that you can really draw from and talk mm-hmm. about personal stories. I mean, you and I can talk about personal stories just about well, that's there's one little girl who pops into my head when you say those things. Right. You know, and so um, I would say, because I was thinking about when you were talking about art and you're talking about Emmanuel, you're talking about Terry, you're talking about JP. Um, I'm the only black woman in that space, right? I know. Like, but JP's sister was here and, too, though. Yeah, right? Angie was there. <laughs> Angie Lewis was there. Right. Absolutely. Right. You know, but I think about that in my role in Rockwood and being the only black woman right. in a district level administrative role and what that means to black girls and girls who see me because I know they're always watching right. and I have a, I have a lot of responsibility in nurturing and loving them um, in a way that I know is important and, uh, you know, um, essential for them to be successful and to be happy, healthy kids. And so I would say when you talk about my most, my most value work, I would say is girls group. I would say it's the time that I get to spend with um, the ninth grade black girls at the high school. Every Wednesday, we have Love Project with Shantae Duncan, who's an amazing facilitator. And we talk about loving ourselves and self-esteem and sisterhood and what it means to be a black woman and how we love and care for ourselves. And that is my most valued possession, I would say, in Rockwood, is I love being with the girls. Wednesdays literally make my whole week because I know I'll get to see them, and it's that space of um, supporting and nurturing and loving them and then them seeing them love me back just the same way, and it's really, really special. And, you know, there's one little girl who went to Salvage who I made an amazing connection with, and then the next year she came to Marquette, and I got to see her every Wednesday, and then the next year after that I got to see her every Wednesday in girls group, and it's been... And um, so I think about her. I think about her sister. Um, I think about families like that. And that's that has been the highlight of my work in Rockwood is getting to know the kids and getting to know the families and supporting them and loving them and, you know, helping along the way. So that that would be one thing. Girls group, creating boys group with, a you know, a similar theme in mind. Read like me. 
giving um, elementary kids, black kids, books and allowing them to see reflections of themselves, um, making sure that black girls see themselves and black boys see themselves and showing the narrative that not every story about black people has to be about struggle, that Mm -hmm. they can see themselves thriving and loving and living and learning and reading. So that that's really important. Um, the, The Welcome Home Rockwood stuff is also really um, important in just thinking about creating access for um, students of color who say they want to be an educator and us supporting them as Rockwood as a community, uh, us supporting them during their time in college, having them come back as student teacher in Rockwood and hopefully them coming back and saying, I want to be a teacher in Rockwood. Because if we're really going to talk about fostering a sense of diversity and inclusion, we have to have um, members of the community who want to return. Because white teachers, white alumni come back all the time mm-hmm. and want to teach in Rockwood because mm-hmm. it was a space that loved and nurtured them. And I want to make sure that kids of color feel the same way, that they want to come back. So I feel like it's a double fold. Like, I feel like I also have to work with HR to ensuring we are creating that environment now by having really diverse hiring practices and um, having people of color be given a seat at the table and then also supporting the students who say they want to be educators and come back. So those are those are some of the um, the important things. Things I think about with staff, where staff is concerned is last year having every guidance counselor and social worker participate in their first year of dismantling racism training. Um, that I was like really happy and excited about doing and starting that work, that that foundational work, that personal journey work that I think is so important. And now getting the, you know, the administrators, we did about 40 administrators last year, will continue this year. Um, That to me is the things that really shine for me during this time. One of the things that we were just kind of talking about was the idea that you started that dismantling racism last year, right? Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And it was before George Floyd, before COVID and all of this other stuff. How do you think that would uh, translate now if you were? I'm hoping. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to we're definitely we're, the the um, the train is still moving forward. Right. And so we will be we will we will be continuing that work. What I'm hoping is that we are in a space where people's hearts and minds are open in a way that they haven't been open before, mm-hmm. possibly that people are willing to have courageous and uncomfortable conversations. Because if you say you love these black kids, mm-hmm. then you can't be silent about the injustices that we face as black people in this country. And if you say that you and I don't even want it to be based off of your premise or love for me but if you see me and you see terry and emmanuel um justin george um carl you see all these black administrators in rockwood and you value and um cameron um you see us and you you respect us and you acknowledge the the beauty that we are we are we are a part of collective like a collective and so it's not just us we're we're not the only great black people that there are in the world and um if you see the beauty in who we are then i want you just to see the beauty in being black and realizing that our lives matter and that um it's going to take all of us to make a difference in the world and i'm you know i'm hoping that like i know that there are sometimes people may have done things like or been open to things just out of their respect for me and then been like, okay, this is cool. But I want them to have that respect just because they love these kids. I just so appreciate the fact that you have been able to give me a little bit of time, Brittany. Um, I wish that 
um, there were more conversations like this on a regular basis with um, more than just the two of us, you know, um, the kind of things that we really seriously need to talk about within um, not only our district, but in our region, in our in our nation, um, people are all different, and we should celebrate all of these differences. Um, but we have to also examine what's happened and recognize that it's happened and not be fearful of what we might find when we start looking at it closely. Absolutely. Growing up and in... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, that's absolutely... That's the whole premise of truth and reconciliation, right? Like the South African model right, of them right. um, bringing the country back together after right. post-apartheid and being honest about the truths and the injustices that had happened. And so what I know is that I can't wait for anyone to do that for us. As an educational space, we have to be truthful. We have to have some reconciliation. If we are going to move forward, if we are going to be different, then we're going to be better and we're going to be more empathetic and more loving. Um, we have to be truthful. So go ahead. I'm sorry, Mike. I cut you off. No, no. I was just going to kind of say the same thing is what we have to do is make sure that we – um, are open um, to the idea that things aren't going to be comfortable. You know, things are not going to be easy to talk about. Um, you know, when I, I'll just give you an example. When I when I first started talking to Emmanuel, I just asked him, you know, um, how is this holiday and how is this fourth? And, and, and then I said, you know, Emmanuel, the thing is, when I ask you that, I think about it from my perspective all these years. Fifty years I've been celebrating in a certain way, you know, and within the last few years I finally realized that there's not a whole lot to celebrate in a lot of ways, you know. Um, I'm thankful for what I've had, but what? how do I, how do I help others, you know, understand that um, I want it, I think that ideal of Independence Day needs to be <laughs> brought to the forefront of, Everybody needs to be able to be able to celebrate it in a way that, um, you know, is truthful. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, I mean, one of the things that that um, you had sent along was uh, Frederick Douglass's speech, and and uh, and uh, I had seen it before, um, but f- for whatever reason, really paid much more attention to it this time around and, and actually watched it. feels it. differently. Oh, doesn't it though? And, 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 it um, does. your, um, you sent along the YouTube link of the kids, uh, who, who are, uh, descendants of, of Frederick Douglass and, and they're reading it. And I think it's just so important for us to really truly examine like those moments in our history that, uh, we know are uncomfortable and, and let's, uh, let's not pretend like they aren't, aren't there, you know, like it's not really there. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's what we've done for a really long time yeah. is we pretend that they're not there. Um, and some of it is pretending, but some of it is that we're not teaching it. Right. So like you can't even pretend the things that you don't know because you just don't know them. And so, um, but I, I do agree. It felt very differently. I don't know. I always have interesting feelings about the 4th of July right. um, just because, I know what it means, and I know what it means to, to people who look like me and the fact that we, we weren't free. Um, but I do agree, like, reading Frederick Douglass, What is a Fourth of July to a Slave, felt very differently this year. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I realize that that means that the work is working through me differently than it ever has before, and so I have to acknowledge that. And I feel like we all have to acknowledge that, that, like, we're at a different emotional and mental space with this, and we have to acknowledge it and process it and figure out what does that mean and the actions of what we do next. Yeah. And, uh, you know, 
you and I could talk for a long time. I know you have to get going because you got your own thing happening. But uh, uh, <laughs> again, you know, I hope that that you and I can revisit uh, down the road to just kind of talk about where we are and where we're going and all that kind of good stuff. I just maybe we'll see each other in August. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> we're supposed to see each other. I think July thirtieth, maybe. Right? Is we that are, the date? Yeah. <laughs> So that's correct. We're supposed to see each other. So yeah, we'll be able to do hair hugs and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, the big thing is I just really appreciate who you are and what you've brought to the table and, and, and you make us all better people as we walk through our own journeys, knowing that, uh, that if we have a, a silly question that we're not sure how to a- ask it, it doesn't matter. Just ask the question, and then that just way, ask, we, then, yeah. then that way we start to actually talk. So, I've appreciated from the day I met you, um, especially as we like you like you said. You know, we we've talked about our own our own kids in our in our schools and and uh, uh, some of the situations that I've brought you in on, um, getting you to know some of the kids that that I'm working with, and now now they know you and. And man, the impact that you're having on these kids is is really profound. And and you got to know that it's making a huge difference, not just at that level, at the higher levels too. So keep doing what you're doing, Brittany Hogan. I appreciate you and and everything that you stand for. So thank you for being with me today. Thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it. And I guess the thing to say now is, Mike off. Well, Mike's off. But uh, any shout outs that you want to give to anybody, mom and dad, anybody like that? Because we're going <laughs> to put this dad. out there. Hey, yeah. guys. They're so funny. I, you know, I send them all these things and then I wait for them to actually tell me they've listened or watched it. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing who you are with me. So I've gotten to know you a little bit better. I appreciate who you are and, and look forward to our work together as we continue down this journey, okay? Thank you so much. You're awesome. awesome. Thank you. Join us in the weeks to come as we learn and grow together.